You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. We're back with our week eight episode of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. We got another big week in waivers, um, pretty much touching on uh, almost every position, multiple players at each position. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the moribund Dallas Cowboys offense that's been in really an unbelievable spiral since Dak Prescott's unfortunate season-ending injury and kind of what to do with each player there and how to readjust expectations. So why don't we dive right in at the running back position. We saw a couple of very impactful injuries in week seven. Uh, Many of them occurred in the very competitive NFC West. Let's start with Seattle, where not only do we have Chris Carson with a midfoot sprain, which he's listed as week to week, we can probably safely expect him to miss two weeks with that designation. But Carlos Hyde has experiencing um, some hamstring tightness. He is uncertain for week eight. So, Mike, how are you playing the, are we picking up Carlos Hyde, or is this DJ Dallas time? You know, we've read that because of the COVID protocols for free agents, they might not actually pick anyone up. So, how are you approaching this backfield as we approach a waiver processing time this week? Yeah, I think that DJ Dallas is going to be a lot more affordable. I don't see people spending a lot on him on waivers since he's a relatively unknown. He didn't produce a whole lot last week. So I think that's a very interesting buying opportunity. Hyde, I think after everybody watched the nationally televised game and how well Hyde performed, even with the uncertainty, I think owners will be more willing to spend a lot on him. I think both are worth bidding on, but you may just take too much to acquire Hyde. DJ Dallas, I think, is very interesting and comes with a lot of upside in a scenario where Hyde sits out. Dalton, what do you think about this Seattle backfield? What do you see as DJ from DJ Dallas as a prospect? You know, obviously he's a rookie. Yeah, I mean, he has an interesting receiving profile. Um I'm not sure that he's someone who has this immense upside, and it seems likely that um, if Hyde and Carson are out, they're going to utilize some sort of committee with Travis Homer and DJ Dallas, Um, but I would prefer Dallas because of that receiving upside, and he also is a relatively unknown player. We always want to just bank on those rookies because there is that potential upside that they are better than um, what the draft position indicated or the prospect profile indicated. So um, we always want to be chasing those rookies for the upside there. And I think DJ Dallas is the kind of guy that can do that. And actually, you know, in an offense like that, with that receiving work that Chris Carson was getting, if DJ Dallas can get that receiving work and even sprinkle in um, some rushing work, um, he can definitely be like a back-end RB2 or flex while both those guys are out. You know, just a bit of a buyer beware on those guys is that, their schedule coming up is not exactly friendly to running backs. You know, they're going against, uh, I believe, San Francisco this week, who is good against running backs, then Buffalo, and then the Rams, who have had who have allowed some decent production, but maybe nothing to get excited about. All in all, it could be even better news for guys like Lockett and Metcalf, who just take turns going absolutely nuclear. Um, but I, I don't know how excited I am about the opportunities in this backfield with Carson out and with Hyde uncertain. Um, If you're kind of in a win now, I need to win this week. I'm going to take a gamble. Are you guys prioritizing Hyde or Dallas as the, um, as the play for this week? I mean, Hyde, you're going to need to monitor the injury reports right up until waivers process. So 
it's very hard to know with Hyde, but obviously if he's playing and you need a win now, he's the guy to acquire. But DJ Dallas will probably be a lot cheaper. And I kind of envision a scenario where the Seahawks want to pass. They don't have a great rusher on the ground with Hyde and Carson potentially being out. DJ Dallas is a good receiver. They can spread out. They can throw him some dump off passes. And I don't know that Homer is really a threat to steal a lot of work on the ground because he kind of has that profile as well. But it's nice to see that the Seahawks already last week seemed to transfer over a lot of those touches to DJ Dallas. So we can kind of uh, know that he's the preferred back in this situation. So I do think that he's an interesting guy in terms of what his price is going to be. Okay. I mean, that's, that's fair. Why don't we move on to another NFC West team? That's the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, a guy who early on in his college career was thought to be a day two pick, um, went to Arizona State University, and Eno Benjamin turned out to be a seventh rounder, but a guy with the production profile that we're looking for. Dalton, what can you tell us about Eno Benjamin? Why did he fall so far in the draft? And do you still have some hope for him as a prospect now that Chase Edmonds is uh, has a high ankle sprain like injury? Um, I cannot answer the question of why he fell in the draft. That was probably the most mind-boggling thing in this draft process. Um, I was highest on Eno Benjamin, um, according to consensus, versus any other player in this uh, rookie class. So I'm extremely high on him and what he can do. And I'm actually um, excited that he's going to be getting this opportunity here because um, I we, I think we all know that Chase Edmonds is a very good player, but I'm not sure that he has the workhorse type profile to be carrying the ball upwards of, you know, maybe 20 to 25 touches a game, which means that a guy like, you know, Benjamin could come in and get some work. And what, you know, Benjamin does, he offers the full entire package that we're looking for in a player. Um, you know, he was extremely productive in college, um, had over 1000 rushing yards and back-to-back seasons to go along with 35 plus receptions in back-to-back seasons. Um, he's 21 years old, um, was an early declare, um, and we know that these early declare 21-year-old rookie running backs, they tend to do a lot better. And the fact that he has that profile as well um, adds in there. Really, the only the only negative thing on his profile is the fact that he got the lack of draft capital, but I think there's a lot of positive signs there for him um, that the moment he sees the field, like he could be a lot better and outproduce um, that draft capital that he had. And I don't see there's any reason that he can't turn into, you know, a Duke Johnson or Giovanni Bernard type player in the NFL. And I think that he's someone that I'm actually highly prioritizing. And I think that he's someone that um, a lot of people aren't necessarily going to be in on, on waivers this week. And he's someone that I absolutely want to get on my teams at all costs right now. Mike, do, do you think he, um, he slides in as the old Chase Edmonds role? Do you think he gets more rushing work because of his college profile and just how productive he was as a workhorse? Um, do you give look in your crystal ball there and tell us how you see this backfield um, playing out without Drake and um, if you're prioritizing Benjamin over a guy like DJ Dallas? Yeah, I think DJ Dallas is more the pickup just because there's that hide uncertainty that we don't have with Chase Edmonds. But as Dalton said, I mean, Dalton's an ASU homer, so don't take too much of what he said. <laughs> but um, there's a lot to like about Edmonds. I mean, about, uh, you know, Benjamin's profile. The issue is it's very unpredictable as to how they're going to use him. We haven't seen, you know, Benjamin on the field yet. 
him and Edmonds are both like 5'9", 210 pounds. So there isn't really one who is the bigger rusher type profile. Um, Benjamin was a good receiver in college, and that's kind of what Edmonds does for this team. But I don't think that the Cardinals coaching staff has a desire to use Edmonds as like a crazy workhorse. I think they do want to get somebody else involved, and I think this is the perfect opportunity. Um, Benjamin was a very interesting prospect in a class with a lot of good players, and I think that they'll be excited about getting him on the field. I don't know that he's going to have a fantasy-relevant workload, but he's really one injury away, so I definitely think, as Dalton said, he's very under the radar. He's going to be acquired for, for, for free in most leagues or for a very cheap bid, and there is a scenario where he becomes involved and maybe there's an opportunity where he's really good and they, they don't want to take him off the field. So I definitely think that he's a guy to grab and stash and, and let's see how this plays out. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's fair. I remember watching him in college thinking that this guy is going to be a Kareem hunt like um, player. If he got uh, on the proper team, his rookie season, but again, it was kind of one of those, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, A.J. Brown situation, the extreme where going into his, you know, he was almost better his sophomore year. And if he had had the ability to declare, then he would have gone higher than if he had gone in his junior year. Um, let's go across the country to the East Coast to a place of very little hope, and that is New York. Um, there's a couple running backs there in the NFC and AFC who – for a bi-week devastated team, could be worth a pickup. And one, a rookie, LaMichael Pirine. Uh, why don't we do what we did with Eno Benjamin and Dalton? Tell me about his profile, and then, Mike, let's forecast just exactly how he fits into these bids and that Jets, quote-unquote, offense, if you could even call it that. Yeah, I mean, LaMichael Pirine's a somewhat interesting player, um, a little bit older of a prospect, but he get drafted at the fourth-round pick. And he has some um, uh, receiving upside as well as we saw him in this game. Again, he's on the Jets, so we can't necessarily be too excited about it. But I do think that um, the fact that they were um, willing to release Le- or Le'Veon Bell and seeing him get um, 58% of the snaps in Week 6 and then 70% of the snaps in um, Week 7, I mean, that shows that they want him to be the lead guy. And any time that you can be a lead guy in offense, no matter how bad it is, like that's enough to potentially get you flex consideration or back end RB two production. And um, he scored a touchdown there, got eleven carries, got uh, three targets, so um, fourteen touches there. And it looks like his role could potentially grow there as a rookie. So um, he has some interesting games that potentially could be shootouts against Kansas City and um, New England, and the Chargers coming up after that. So um, I'm all aboard picking him up as a guy who can see this um, potential startable workload for you during these bye weeks and whatnot and potentially grow into even a bigger role as season progresses. Are you on Wayne Gallman? Or I'm sorry. Are you on the Michael P. Ryan as a priority guy this week um, as maybe someone whose role could increase as the year goes on and maybe as a more long-term pickup over someone like uh, DJ Dallas, who might only be relevant for two weeks. Yeah, I think that's exactly the reason to go for P. Ryan. P. Ryan last week um, in week six had 8.4 expected fantasy points and 
in week seven that jumped to 9.8. He's getting some receiving workload. He's getting a rushing workload. And there's really a lot of incentive for that organization to play the young players when they're not fighting for a playoff spot and Frank Gore isn't going to do anything for them in the future. So in a situation where finding running back depth is so difficult, you have a guy that should be scoring 10 fantasy points per game he should be owned and and potentially started in deep leagues. And I think his workload is only going to grow as the year goes on. And if he happens to be, I'm not sure that he's necessarily an above average player, but if he does get hot or get going, maybe he's a guy that you can rely on during bye weeks to be a starting running back. Yeah. I mean, you're probably starting him over a guy like Cam Akers right now. I assume Dalton. Um, Absolutely. Why don't we, (laughs) why don't we, uh, why don't we go to the uh, NFC side of New York and a guy who I already spoiled, Wayne Gallman, who carried the mail a bit when Saquon was out last year. But now that um, free agent signing Devonta Freeman is injured, Gallman actually might have this backfield to himself. I don't know just exactly which offense is better or worse, the Giants or the Jets. <laughs> um so I don't know who will get more goal line touches. I guess you could argue that maybe Gallman's in the worst division, so he might see a little bit more work. But, you know, this is a guy who uh, carried the mail in college, um, was useful when Zeke was out, and I don't think is, is an above-average player. But, you know, he might see 13 carries a game. So at this point, running back is an absolute wasteland if you just look at the injuries and expected points. Um, uh, Mike, are you Pirine versus Gallman? Who do you got? Um, again, we're waiting on the injury report of uh, Devonta Freeman. We don't really know exactly what's going on with him so far. It's been kind of vague. So I think Gallman probably has more potential, but there's also Dion Lewis's potential involvement. And I think a lot of what makes Pirine attractive is the lack of competition. So I think gun to my head right now, I'm picking Pirine, but Gallman's definitely a guy to watch who had more expected points in week seven than Pirine did. He was up at 13.8 and he outproduced that. He was involved in the pass game um, more so than Dion Lewis and he rushed more than Dion Lewis. So if he continues to be treated as kind of the guy, the workhorse for the Giants and Dion Lewis doesn't have involvement and Freeman is injured, then I think he is the more valuable player. But at this point in time, there's just a lot of uncertainty surrounding this situation. I can relay fresh on to, from Roto World, Devonta Freeman did not practice um, today. So, you know, more, uh, more ups to Wayne Gallman as a potential difference maker or just a guy you can slide in your lineup in just the middle of bye weeks this week. Um, why don't we pivot to wide receiver? Uh, there are a couple guys who might help you out in this bye week pinch, including a rookie who a lot of people were excited about. Again, somehow there's some hope with the New York Jets. Denzel Mims, um, as a prospect, Dalton, this guy was a late declare. Do you do you hold that against him? Um. A, a little bit, but the rest of his profile is so strong that he has the profile of a late declare who could actually ball out and become very good. He's had an over 30% market share since his sophomore year, is a freak athlete, um, has great size as well. So there's a lot of positives um, to his profile that um, I think he's actually going to be a 
good player. I'm just not sure if that um, early declare or the late declare tag is going to keep him from being a superstar, and that remains to be seen. But he got seven targets in his first game, got four receptions of 42 yards. So solid debut and a bad offense. And if he continues to get volume here as season progresses, um, it could potentially bode well for his um, – late season um, workload potentially as a starter on your fantasy teams. But again, right now um, I'm, just, I'm just throwing like a small bit in for Denzel Mims and um, seeing what happens there. Cause I'm not really at the end of the day, not trying to get too much of this offense. You know, Mike, if you had someone like Debo Samuel go down you know, in the middle of bye weeks, um, I personally think Mims is a bit of an exciting ad because he was a rookie with a, uh, like Dalton said, rookie with a great profile on a team that's going to be down plenty. Um, are you as excited about Denzel Mims as I am, as excited as one can be about a Jets wide receiver? Yeah, I'm definitely excited. I mean, he had 13.2 expected fantasy points. He underperformed that, but I think his workload and his snaps were very encouraging for a guy playing his first game. And if we zoom out a little bit, this guy was a second round pick who's a freak athlete and a really good rookie class. So the Jets deal hurts him but the Jets are also going to be behind in every game getting Crowder back may help him as the defense is focusing more on Crowder and Mims is really a guy that aside from the late declare is a really really exciting player and it's not like there's a lot of really exciting guys floating around on on waivers right now Um, you can point to a Jalen Rager who I may be more excited to grab but he Obviously, we love him as a prospect, but he's playing with this thumb issue that who knows how that impacts things. Um, And Mims is on the field getting the targets, and he's a guy that should be stashed because if he performs at a high level like a lot of the rookies who are drafted around him have, it really wouldn't be that surprising. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've learned about this rookie class is let's not uh, count them out because they're rookies, right? You can't not expect immediate production. Although guys like uh, Claypool disappointed this week, um, I I think Mims uh, is an exciting ad, especially if you have some room on your roster and you can IR someone like Debo. Um, but uh, maybe I'm too high on him because I'm just so into this rookie class. But you mentioned another rookie who is coming back, and that's Jalen Rager. Um, I, again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Guys like Travis Fulgham who come in and immediately produce, they, they tend not to leave the field and they tend to continue their production. Um, but Deshaun Jackson's on IR. Who knows whether he'll ever play a full NFL season again. Alshon Jeffrey, I mean, I don't know if he even counts as an NFL player. He still isn't, pra- uh, isn't playing. I don't even think he's practicing. Um, on a team that could be down a lot, uh, is it Jalen Rager time finally, or is Travis Fulgham going to be the guy while Goddard, uh, when, and when Goddard comes back, he'll gobble up targets too. Are you more of a Mims or Rager guy, Mike, gun to your head? Um, I'm more of a Rager guy. I'm just going to bet on the talent from the outset, and I'm going to bet on the better offense. I'd rather have Carson Wentz throwing the ball than Darnold with Gase drawing up the plays. Um, so I'll go with Rager. I mean, Fulgham is eighth in PPR scoring in terms of points per game for wide receivers. And I don't really necessarily see that as such a bad thing for Rager. This team has plenty of targets to go around. Fulgham can get his and Rager can get his. I don't know if Goddard being involved, then there's suddenly a few too many mouths to feed, but 
the cream rises to the top and Rager's an exciting player. And I think having the defense concerned about another player will help him in the short term. If he has one-on-ones, he's going to be able to get his feet wet. He's going to be able to get comfortable. And if he gets going, I mean, you could argue that he's the best rookie wide receiver. If you zoom out in this class, I mean, maybe excluding Lamb and Judy, Um, But there's really a lot of things to be excited about with Rager. And I don't think that Fulgham is a reason to avoid him. Yeah. Dalton, uh, are you are you with Mike? One thousand percent on Rager. I think I think Rager's a star in the making. And it's clear that they trust him enough not only to spend a first round pick on him, but in his second career game to see 85 percent of the offensive snaps have four targets in each of those games. So it's clear that they liked him, wanted to give him opportunity right off the bat. And um, one thing about Rager is this is now twice that he is ahead of schedule on his injury. Um, He got hurt down in training or um, training camp, said he wouldn't be ready for the, he'd missed probably a couple weeks, ended up playing week one. And then they said that his UCL, towards UCL, he would be out until like week 10. So the fact that he's potentially on track to play this week, he's already practicing, he's extremely promising for him. he just has such a great profile, um, really checks all the boxes that we're looking for, early college production, early declare, first round draft pick, um, great athlete, um, good uh, weight profile as well. Um, so really checks all the boxes there. And I don't see any reason for him not to jump in there, even with a guy like Travis Fulgham and Dallas Goddard. Like there's still opportunity there for the second receiver and, and once needs targets to throw to. And I don't see why Rager can't be a guy who can potentially put up similar production to what we're seeing with some of these other rookies as the season progresses. Like I don't see why Rager can't be um, a flex or a wide receiver three or potentially even a wide receiver two in your lineup as you're approaching playoff time. I think he's that good of a player and can ball out. Yeah. I mean, we, we forget just how good of a prospect he was in terms of the percentage of his team's receiving production and just how it was the only threat at TCU. And the Eagles, you know, they don't have as much of a downfield threat anymore. He They draft him to be that guy. And at the beginning, they were concerned about his snap share. I don't think that's going to be a concern going forward. Last wide receiver that we're going to talk about, is there enough room for two Higginses in the AFC North? We have, of course, our guy T. Higgins in Cincinnati. But the... Uh, off-forgot about third receiver, the recipient of many an off-season puff piece, Rashard Higgins. Uh, Quick aside about the Browns, I think there is a bit of a, if you guys listen to Bill Simmons, there's a, I think there's a bit of a Ewing theory uh, thing going on in Cleveland now. You know, when Odell wasn't there, Baker Mayfield was, you know, looking like a future star. When Odell was there, he looked like he was aggressing. Odell got hurt on his interception. After Odell's interception, Baker was 22 of 23 for 297 yards and five touchdowns. Um, I can never come to actually say that losing Odell Beckham is better for your offense. But, I, I mean, the evidence shows us that Baker is best when playing like a point guard role and just throwing to his open rather than forcing targets to one specific guy. And Landry's a little bit hurt. Other than that, uh, do you guys think Higgins has a chance to be a wide receiver three the rest of the year? Yes, I do. Um, 
I and that's coming from someone who's always been a Rashard Higgins fan. I think he's someone who's been underrated. Had a really great profile. Has a one of the has that eighteen um, year breakout age. Was a fifth round pick. Um, was productive in college. So he had a good profile coming out. And he in his first year with Baker Mayfield, he was extremely efficient. Had ten point eight yards per target there. And then I remember week one last year, uh, like the first drive, he had like he had like four targets, had like forty five yards, and then he got hurt, ended up missing majority. He never saw the field back. So when he's seeing the snaps again, he's seeing eighty five percent of the snaps at six for one hundred and ten, no touchdowns. Like there's clearly opportunity for him there. Um, even before Odell went down, he's seeing over fifty five percent of the snaps the past three weeks. So it's clear that he's going to be in that role there as the wide receiver two in this offense. And if Baker Mayfield plays, like you mentioned, Asher, um, he's played better without Odell Beckham. And if he can get back to potentially his rookie season or just plays better just overall, um, like that opens up a lot for Rashard Higgins. I don't see why he can't be someone that during these bye weeks and during the rest of the season, you're throwing in there as a wide receiver three could get you, you know, 10 to 15 points there with potentially, you know, touching up. Mikey, and uh, any notes on this Browns offense and how you see Higgins fitting in in comparison to Mims and Rager as as an ad on the free agent wire this week? Yeah, I mean, I'm not oh, totally convinced that Landry is a hundred percent. Or, I mean, I would like to say with this situation with Odell out, Landry jumps in the rankings, and I'm just not even sure that we can conclude that with what se- what's seemingly going on with him and his body. Um, so now we're in a situation of who's going to benefit and Hooper is out right now with the appendectomy. Um, I do think he is a nice beneficiary when he returns. That's a very good point. And possibly becomes a mid to low end reliable tight end one in a world where those are hard to find. Um, and then outside of that, I think Higgins is the guy. So week to week, I think one of those three guys is benefiting it's not going to be Hooper in the short term. And it seems that there's some rapport going on between Higgins and uh, Baker. And yeah, I I think he's definitely worth stashing. He's not a guy that I would be as excited as putting in my lineup as a Rager or a Mims. He's not as good of a prospect as those guys, but could he kind of break out due to necessity on this team with very few weapons? I mean, maybe they transition to getting Njoku, Harrison Bryant, and Hooper more involved, and they go with two tight ends. But there's definitely a need for pass catchers, and Higgins is an able body. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Dalton, real quick hitter on Donovan Peoples-Jones. As a prospect, anything to be happy about, or is he a guy who you're just ignoring even in Dynasty Leagues? Um, He's definitely not someone I'm ignoring, but he's someone that I'm cautiously optimistic about. Um, again, we just need to see him. I mean, he saw 69% of the snaps, um, which is nice to see, but again, like he's only seen four targets all year. So we really have to be hesitant about his potential future role there. But a couple of things to note on Donovan people, Jones, I make him interesting. First of all, freak athlete. We always, you know, that means that his upside's a little bit higher because he can do things that other wide receivers can't. And second of all, um, Blair Andrews did an interesting, um, article about hand size and Donovan people, Jones has, um, very large hands. So those are two things that potentially could give him some upside there. But again, six round draft pick wasn't exactly overwhelmingly productive in college. So in terms of redraft, he's not someone I'm really actively looking at. I'd much rather add Higgins. But in Dynasty, like as a back end guy in the, on your team, like sure, why not? Why not uh, throw out there and see what else he can do the rest of the season? 
Okay, he's rosterable. Let's move on to the last position that, of free agency that we'll discuss in detail, and that's some exciting options at quarterback. Um, you know, we've obviously seen the young quarterbacks just dominate this year. Um, it, just un- similar to the wide receivers, like how in a COVID-shortened season, guys like Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are doing what they're doing. I mean, Mike, if Burrow and, uh, and Herbert are this good, what are your expectations for a guy like Tua Tagovailoa, who, you know, you don't bench a Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's playing at worst league average play, um, for a guy like Tua, unless he's ready, no? Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think that Tua is very interesting. I mean, the only knock we have on him is this injury that he's seemingly healthy from. So I don't see why we shouldn't assume full health if the Dolphins are ready to run with him. And this is a guy that has everything you want in a quarterback one, where he has this rushing ability he has these receivers he's going to be playing from behind so I think it's a very interesting scenario where let's say you're picking between Tua and a Derek Carr on waivers Derek Carr has played very well this year but Tua is a guy who is a little bit more volatile he may be worse he may not be able to go into your lineup but if you have a QB2 slot where you're looking for a little bit more upside where you you have a guy week to week like a Big Ben, who has that stability, and now you need some upside. Tua has all of these elements of a very good college player with rushing ability, playing from behind, has a bunch of pass attempts. I think Tua is definitely a guy to watch, and if you need a quarterback, he's a very exciting guy to add. You know, I think something we forget about Tua is that, like, going back to his junior year, right up until he he had a ho- that horrible hip injury, this was the consensus number one pick. I mean, we saw a lot of famous team names on Apex tanked for Tua, right? Like, this was, like, the kind of Trevor Lawrence before Trevor Lawrence, if you will. So it's not to be taken lightly that this guy is seeing the field. And, you know, if you told me after this hip injury, which has some horrible, horrible possible side effects, like an avascular necrosis, which is what happened to Bo Jackson. Um, we saw what happened to Dennis Pitta dislocating that hip twice, ended his career. And to see him now starting midway through his rookie year is really remarkable and just a sign that he is healthy. And so, you know, he has Preston Williams. He has Devontae Parker. He has Mike Gusecki. The offensive line isn't terrible. Uh, Gaskin's looking good. Um, Shaheen is a tight end too. Jakeen Grant, like it's not nobody that he's throwing to. And we saw some other rookie quarterbacks this year really elevate their already productive teammates. So I am very excited about a guy like Tua. Um, another guy that was dropped, well, I'm sorry, not another guy. Tua was has not been owned, but a guy that might have been dropped in your league who, again, much maligned, much complained about, but is the QB 11 overall, and I think what by Mike uh, QB 7 by average points is Carson Wentz. Um, you got those backwards. He is I got them backwards. the quarterback 11 in points per game, and he's the QB 7 in terms of scoring this season. And I just think that there was a recency bias early in the season that he can't do anything. He has no weapons. He screwed me weeks one, week two, week three, however long that drought went on for. But since then... He's been pretty lights out. He has rushing upside. He's not afraid to use his body. He seemingly is scoring rushing touchdowns on a weekly basis. And now we're talking about Goddard coming back. Fulgham's there. 
uh, Rager's coming back. So I think that there's a lot to be excited about with Wentz. And maybe after all, he is the low end quarterback one that he was drafted to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about Wentz. His, his AYA has been like really bad, but it's almost been entirely buoyed by rushing production. He has five rushing touchdowns already this year, which is pretty remarkable considering I think in his entire career, he had, I believe, three rushing touchdowns in his career um, up until this point. Yep, three rushing touchdowns from 2016 through 2019. And this year, he already has five through week seven. So if he can, he's almost been their goal line back. And if he can continue that, I mean, his his passing's only going to get better. Are you prioritizing him over Tua, Mike? Yeah, I think that Wentz kind of has the rushing production that we hope that Tua gets. And if Rager comes back and Goddard comes back and suddenly the Eagles offense is scoring at a higher rate, they're able to move the ball better, they're able to pass better. I think Wentz has a lot of upside. Tua, I love with his volatility where we don't know what he's going to do, but I'm not sure that we can assume immediately that he's going to jump ahead of Wentz, get that rushing production, be able to move the ball enough to score and have enough opportunities that he's immediately jumping ahead of Wentz for me. So right now, I'd prioritize Wentz, but I don't think Tua is far behind. Last quarterback, especially if you're on a bye, you know, this week you could have Kyler Murray on bye. You could be starting Gardner Minshew. You could have Deshaun Watson. Uh, a guy who's been, like, quietly really good is Derek Carr. Dalton, do you, I think you have some strong feelings about this guy. Yeah, I mean, Derek Carr has just been a guy who's been sliding so under the radar, and he just needs some more respect for what he's done this year. Um, he's been top 10 in nearly all major, um, efficiency metrics for quarterbacks, um, as well as passing as well. Um, touchdowns top 10 in that as well. So, um, he's also on a points per game basis. He's the quarterback 12 right now. And, um, he's someone that is on waivers in nearly all the leagues. He's in a division that now has the chargers and the chiefs, which, um, are, shootout games as well um he's already had his bye week so if you're looking for somebody who i mean he's not necessarily has the upside of a guy like a Tua, but if you're looking for someone that you can start in week and week out like i don't see why Derek carr isn't in that conversation for that kind of guy that you can rely on on a week-to-week basis i remember um what was it five years ago when he's be talking about an mvp candidate type of player before um you know he got hurt um, if we look at his stats now versus then on a per game basis, he's just blowing all that out of the water. So this is the best that he's played in his entire career has nine adjusted yards per attempt is averaging 287 yards per game. His quarter his QBR is 80.6 which is one of the top in the league. Um, he's just playing phenomenal and it's translating into fantasy points for your team. And I don't see why he's someone that you just can't rely on on a week to week basis right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, he's been much better than I'd expect. And he's had a couple 300-yard games, multiple touchdowns in every single game except for one. And in a couple of those games, he had three. So uh, definitely a guy who, if you need 17 points to your quarterback position on bye, definitely not a bad bet, especially considering their defense. Why don't we finish off the episode talking about just 
what appears to be almost a worst case scenario in Dallas, not only do we have major locker room issues, you know, things are uh, comments from anonymous players speaking out about how the coaches aren't prepared. They're bad at their job. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that when Dalton went down on what can only be described as a borderline assault-like hit by John Bostic on the Redskins, really just no excuse for something like that, leading with the helmet when he's sliding. No Dallas players went to his defense. Like, it doesn't seem like they care. This is a team that has gone from having Dak to Dalton, which we had some hope for. That looks like a big disaster. A team that went from starting left to right on the offensive line, uh, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, Ronald Leary, and Lyle Collins. They have none of those guys in the lineup anymore. They have gone from a top five line to a bottom three line. What the hell do we do about our Cowboys? You know, early in the season, we had Amari Cooper as a wide receiver one. Uh, we had uh, CeeDee Lamb as a high-end wide receiver two. We had Michael Gallup as a boom-bust wide receiver three. Zeke was a top three asset. Dalton Schultz was a tight end one. Where do we go from here? Mike, let's start with you. And do we, how far do we have to readjust our expectations for what's going on in Dallas? I think that everybody moves down 10 to 15 spots. So if you had Amari Cooper as kind of a wide receiver one, maybe he slides into a low end wide receiver two. I think uh, CeeDee Lamb kind of got to the point where he was a low-end wide receiver two, and now I think he drops off to a wide receiver three, wide receiver four. Gallup kind of falls off the radar, unfortunately. Um, the one saving grace with this team is they're going to be behind a lot, and the, the pass attempts, they may have more than anybody else in the league. Whether they're able to do anything with those pass attempts is concerning, but with somebody like Amari Cooper getting 12 targets, he's going to have a floor. The problem is the upside may be gone if they're not scoring touchdowns. Zeke, I think, becomes that very Zeke, concerning. Zeke is very concerning. Zeke is a guy who had, I think, something around like 18 expected fantasy points per game in every game until this week where he hit just 8.3. And this uh, this is a guy who should be leading the league in touchdowns, but his offense can no longer move the ball. He's not the greatest receiver. and you may, I, I mean, I think that Zeke is still a running back one, but if you have somebody that wants to buy him for a lot, I think that he's a lot closer with the Miles Sanders type guys of the world no than question. people would, would like to admit. And if you're able to get Miles Sanders plus for Zeke, Zeke is not a 20 or 16 touchdown guy right now. I don't even know if he's going to be a 10 touchdown guy right now. So you're banking on these dump off passes. And what is Zeke going to be Zeke because he's catching um, six of his eight targets for 30 yards. I, I don't know if he's still going to be running for 80 yards. This isn't the Cowboys offensive line that we've expected. So based off of name recognition alone, it may be a very interesting time to get rid of Zeke if you're still able to acquire another good running back plus another explosive weapon. And with, with defenses knowing that that offensive line is so bad and knowing they're not going to have a ton of time to throw downfield, um, you are going to have to get a lot of Zeke rushing attempts for him to get to 100 yards, 120 yards. And with that defense, good luck getting Zeke to 20 rushing attempts because you're going to be down by two touchdowns before you know it. 
Um, and and defenses are stacking the box. Oh, so yeah. defenses initially early in the game don't want Zeke doing anything. And then later in the game, it gets to the point where rushing isn't going to save you. And with that defense, they're down by 21 points. So what's the point of running? It, it becomes a very concerning situation. And that's why the Amari Coopers of the world are fine because defenses are keying in on trying to stop them. And even later in the game, they have to pass. Zeke now has to save his, his fantasy value most likely through receiving situations. And Tony Pollard's been getting more work, sneakily more work than expected to after Zeke fumbled a couple of times. Dalton, are you as concerned as we are about what's going on in Dallas? Um, I mean, I'm definitely concerned. Um, there's still part of me that believes that if Andy Dalton can actually play this week or whether whenever he comes back, like there is some sort of hope for the offense considering we have a history of Andy Dalton supporting, you know, high level fantasy receivers. So like even though we've seen in a game and a half of him not doing that, I'm still like optimistic that over the course of the season if he does get back on the field and he does play that things will start to get better for this offense however if we're looking at a guy like Ben DiNucci starting quarterback for them who in his college career has basically the same amount of passing yards as a Cardinal Seahawks game had total Sunday night who had more interceptions than he did touchdowns in college Yes, then we're going to have some major issues about supporting a guy like Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. So um, my hope is that they can bring in a quarterback off the street who is likely Jameis Winston. I don't know if it's going to happen. Or Ryan Fitzpatrick, trade for one of these guys and unlock these weapons and give your team a chance to win in a division that is begging for somebody to win a game. They're begging for somebody to win a game. Right now, the leader is the Eagles at 2-4-1. and one. So please, um, I don't know what to expect out of this team. I don't know whether they're going to sign somebody because of COVID. It makes it a lot tougher to sign somebody up the street. If Andy Dahl's not playing, like we just have to be absolutely devastated with what we're looking at here. Um, but yeah, I do they think don't even, They don't even have to trade a bunch of assets for a quarterback. Like Go sign Chad Kelly off the street. Get some gunslinger who can come in here will pump up pass attempts, has a capable arm, because I'm not sure that we can rely on Ben DiNucci to do anything. And I'm kind of getting to the point with the coaching troubles and the locker room issues that I don't know that Andy Dalton's going to be able to save this one either. Screw it. Yeah. We need Kellen Moore to come off the sideline, put him oh, in. <laughs> Let's make it happen. That arm is not capable. That, that arm. I don't <laughs> Give know you that, that over Ben DiNucci, boys. Get it down to, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that DiNucci was at James Madison, he's not exactly facing the Alabamas of the world. That pure, pure, uh, you, you know, you draft Ben DiNucci thinking in three years down the line he can be your backup because maybe he has the arm talent. But, God, I mean, that whoever faces that Dallas uh, that Dallas offense could really tee off as a fantasy defense. Um, yeah, it's a real shame because they were, you know, they were, in my opinion, the most exciting offense to passing offense to watch just because they were always down. They had Dak and now it's just, you know, it's just, we can't have anything nice in 2020 lesson learned as always. Um, that is all we have for you today on the apex fantasy football podcast in our leagues. It's the trade deadline. So must be approaching in your home leagues as well. Um, Couple quick hitters on that. Just look at some playoff schedules. 
you know, take a look at who in your league are buyers and sellers. If you're high up in your standings, maybe look ahead, but um, enjoy trading, uh, stay safe, and keep the faith. You know, there's always the waiver wire. Keep chugging along in this crazy year of 2020 and this COVID-laden NFL season. But here we are, approaching week eight and no end in sight. So from all of us here at Apex, thank you for listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. 